This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Driven by Data, the podcast, season two, powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. We're delighted to bring you another season of Driven by Data, the podcast, which boasts even more data analytics and AI thought leaders from across the globe. Our aim remains the same to uncover how some of the most prominent leaders within the data analytics community tackle our industry's most trending topics, told in order to share knowledge, ideas and experience, and just as in season one, to give back to the global data and analytics community. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season two. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Jordan Morrow, who is the Vice President of Data Skills for Pluralsight to the podcast. So Jordan, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And the pleasure is is all ours. So um, look, where we always start, Jordan, is by asking our guests to give themselves a, a very brief introduction into their background and journey today, if you'd be so kind, although I'm sure many of our listeners are very familiar with uh, with who you are, but uh, just oh, in case. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to. So uh, my, my career spanned basically data analytics the entire time. Um, I really momentum started growing, et cetera, when I helped pioneer and invent the entire field of data literacy. That's kind of my, my baby, my bread and butter. I still work in that space religiously. I love it. Now I work for Pluralsight where I, I head up their data skills, which is essentially all the learning that Pluralsight puts out to the world around data uh, essentially comes through me or at least touches upon my world. Nice. Nice. Okay. Tell us a little bit more about Pluralsight then for people that might not be familiar. Yeah. Yeah. So Pluralsight's been a company for about 17 years and, and the entire premise has been the democratization of tech skills. But for a long time, it focused on the world of like the developers, IT and security. Uh, it's kind of interesting. The CEO of our company is an old neighbor of mine and <laughs> um, he's the founder, CEO, all of that. And over the years, a couple of times I've reached out and said, you got to tap into data more. You got to tap into data learning more, democratize those skills. And um, didn't gain much momentum. And then last year, uh, they opened up this position to really build out a library of learning around data and analytics. And so that's that's where I come in. I got brought in to build that and own that. And it gave me an opportunity. I was at Click, global head of data literacy. And uh, the job was changing over there, shifting away from what I had built. And they needed a more salesy approach to it. Pluralsight brought me in and it gave me an opportunity to not only do data literacy learning, but expand into data science, AI, ML, uh, all those different areas and, and build out programs and strategies around it. Nice. Awesome. What a what a gig. Um, so, so, so effectively, you're responsible for the, the curriculum and the content for what the platform enables people to learn from. So is that, is that kind of strategic type of stuff or is it more kind of in the weeds with you know the doing and the technology components or a bit of both it's going to be pretty much all of the above so being brought in like the way i built the the world of data literacy at least the programs and the strategies around it it was really around a holistic approach um, to learning about data so not not this commoditized approach where you just say here's all this content go learn something, but working with organizations, getting in the weeds with them, learning the details and saying, 
what, what are you looking to do with data? What are you looking to do to learn about data? How do we build that right? How do we strategize and do all this? And then moving that forward. And so Pluralsight gave me a bigger platform to do that. But I love being with customers, companies who are just looking to, to build their data and analytical journey. Um, and the vast majority, if, if not almost all, they're struggling and they, they don't necessarily know how to use the data, right? They know they need to use it but they don't know where to begin, what to do. I mean, it's a massive world. So I come in and I help build those strategies out. Nice, nice. Okay, fine. So before we jump into the meat of the topic, then um, just give me an insight. What does a typical day in your world now look like? Because I guess holistically completely get what you're tasked with doing, but what, what does the, what does the day-to-day kind of logistically? My my day-to-day, it actually starts, I'll, I'll go before my work day because I'm I'm always, let's put it this way. One of my nicknames is chief nerd officer. So I'm always working on data analytics, et cetera. So I usually am up around 4 to 4.15 a.m. Uh, this morning, it was even earlier because I was thinking about work. Um, and from about 4.15 to 5, 5.30, I'm either reading, studying, or or I'm actually writing a second book right now. So I'm finalizing that manuscript. I get my workout in and then I've got five kids, so I help in the morning with that, uh, get them off. But a day-to-day for me within my my role is, one, really, I'm building the strategy. So I have a great team. um, They're doing an amazing job where I work with them to figure out the strategies, the different modalities. So we're sitting here focused on right now, how do we increase our capabilities on our platform to give the learner hands-on experience? So if we're giving them courses and content, how do we increase their hands-on experience to, to help it stick, to give them practical application? Part of my day is the strategic work. How do I improve the direction of what we're doing from a data learning perspective itself? And I spend a ton of time with customers with the, the opportunity to, to talk their strategies, to talk about what they're doing with data, what they want to do from data literacy and data learning, and then building out roadmaps and plans to do it. So it's really if, if I were to say it's threefold, it's one, the strategic work. How do I improve the domain of data at Pluralsight? What strategic direction do we need to take? What tools should we be using? How do we build our content and courses and get authors to do that? Second, I, I'm with customers doing their strategic work or helping them with their strategies. And then number three is I spend a lot of time doing webinars and things like that. So for example, just this week, yesterday morning, I had a 7 a.m. webinar with GSK out of the UK. And I'm doing a second one for them on Friday on two different topics. So that's how I spend my days. And it, it's, it really is a nerdy paradise. I mean, I'm, I'm involved deep in with data pretty much every <laughs> single day, um, figuring out how to do this better. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's absolutely awesome. So I guess all of that type of stuff, I guess, lends itself to the fact that you're effectively trying to help organizations become more, you know, data driven or whatever kind of word buzzword we're, we're kind of using within that sphere now so but i guess keen to as a starting point get your thoughts on what what do we mean by data driven what's your you know what's your take on what organizations are trying to get to by achieving that goal this term data driven it's been interesting i i think it's been in customers and organizations mind i shouldn't say customers but pretty much i would say most if not all organizations minds for a long time, but the pandemic, COVID really kind of pushed it to the forefront because 
COVID illuminated gaps and holes that organizations had in their data strategy. Data-driven essentially means you are using data and analytics as a tool that will empower your organization's operations and decisions. That's it. And But I think far too often companies get enamored and they, they go beyond the simple thing. We got to do data science and AI and ML and all these things. When in reality, if you have a data-driven strategy that says we're going to improve our operations and our overall business decision-making using data, those other things fall into place versus being the strategies themselves. And I think that's where a lot of companies have fallen is they've used things like BI tools, AI, ML as their strategy, when in reality, those aren't strategies, they are supportive of a strategy. So data-driven is really, are you using data to better your business? That's it. And, and I think that there's a that's the simplistic high level. And then when you get down into the detail, it's massive. It is yeah. a massive undertaking. It's hard, um, but it's well worth it if you can do it right. Yeah. And I, I could not agree more. The amount of conversations that I've had over the years with, you know, organizations going on that journey, looking to start to build the teams. And, you know, I guess, as you rightly pointed out, a lot of their, you know, strategies for want of a better word were, you know, I guess it was almost a bit of a peer pressure an obligation Absolutely. you know that they, they they got the the concept of there's value in here somewhere from a high level holistic perspective but how they went about doing that was very you know often it's a right well if we're going to do this we need to go and buy this technology right now we need Absolutely. to build a data science team and you know the amount of meetings i've sat in saying why yeah. why are you hiring a data scientist no you don't need to to do that uh you know so it's it's crazy, and I'm, you know, can't even begin to imagine the types of conversations that you've had over the years in in that field. Oh, but I guess goodness. so. I mean, you started upon there, kind of the impact that COVID had in, I guess, highlighting some really obvious gaps for many organisations. And you know, we've we've seen this whole digital transformation piece. You know, many companies already on that journey, but I guess it kind of really exposed and expedited for for many organisations. But I guess in the in the details then, you know, how did COVID impact that that journey from a data standpoint? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's been a very interesting journey to watch. So pre-COVID, I was traveling one to four times a month. I mean, I was on the road a lot, going around the world, either speaking at conferences, meeting with companies, and, and helping them in these strategies. And then when the shutdown started to occur, in my mind, I'm thinking, I've got five kids, so I was away from them a lot. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be I think I'm thinking I'm home more, the travel's going to subside. And I thought that my calendar was going to open up. The exact opposite happened. I, I was home more, obviously, but my calendar got busier. And what I surmised through that is organ COVID, what COVID did, think I, I use this analogy a lot is I've got five children. What do most kids and people do when they get into a swimming pool, right? You tiptoe in and you're trying to get into that water and eventually you get in there, but it might take some time. And what we had pre-COVID was a ton of organizations trying to get into this pool of being data-driven, but they're tiptoeing in and they think they're doing something, they're, they're having fun, they're smiling and all this. COVID was me. You know, I see my <laughs> kid, I'm going to push them into the water, right? I'm going to push them into the pool. And COVID basically shoved companies into this pool of being data-driven. The problem was these companies wanted to use data to make smarter decisions, I believe, as soon as the pandemic hit, because then you're using data and information, more systematic and succinct decisions to keep your business afloat. How do you survive during shutdowns? How do you survive doing remote work? How does the supply chain hold up, et cetera? And then when they tried 
They found they couldn't. They found, oh my goodness, we're not where we thought. We've invested who knows how much money in all this data and tools and all of this, and we're not data-driven. And that's, I think, what happened to a lot of companies. And that's why I think my calendar blew up. And when I worked at my prior company, I was with Click at the time, the, the BI vendor. I was actually product agnostic. So I would get companies reaching out to me who didn't use Click, who used our competitors or whatever, looking for help. And COVID sped up digital and data transformation. It basically said, no longer can you tiptoe in, you've got to be here. And so come, that's, I think, why one of the biggest buzzwords during the pandemic has been data-driven, because I think companies now realize if you're going to survive, you have to be. Mm-hmm. If you're not data-driven, you're not surviving. And so especially with what we've seen, the changes in the workforce, you know, remote work is no longer a necessity because of shutdowns, but it could be here to stay for companies and different things. It's time to use data to make decisions. One interesting thing that has happened this year, so here we are in 2021, is the amount of requests I'm getting from HR groups, human resources, to help them with data. That is the number one industry. I, if, I, if I were to take a step back, it's either financial services, but I think HR surpassed them, industry that I'm getting asked to help in, not industry, excuse me, business type within companies. Industries all vary, but it's been so interesting, or I should say it is very interesting to think about that the normal areas that maybe have been using data, HR has just kind of crept along and then boom, we, we need data in our decision-making. So COVID basically sped it all up and it's ready or not, it's time to be there. Yeah. I mean, the whole HR piece is fascinating, right? Because I think if you think about it very logically, it absolutely makes sense, right? You know, when everyone, everyone's sat in an office, you can see if somebody's happy if somebody's sad if somebody's performing well if somebody isn't performing well now everyone's sat at home it's like well who knows what they're doing who knows how they're feeling who knows if they're looking for other jobs we need some data to kind of help us point towards metrics which give us indications of where people are on that spectrum um which is is really fascinating um and i guess yeah you know just in general as you pointed out i think um you know many organizations were thrust into an environment um in a place that they'd never been before and all of a sudden it was a case of well we can no longer rely on gut instinct right you know the, the world has changed who knows what's around the corner and therefore we can't make decisions like we used to so it makes absolute sense what what's very interesting is what COVID also did is we don't want to get rid of gut instinct it needs to be a part of it right But all of a sudden, here's COVID saying, you've never seen this situation, so don't tell me your gut instinct is going to work here. At that point, being more data-driven, to me, there's a harmony. I don't like to call it a balance. I like to call it a harmony. Sometimes the data will outweigh the gut feel, and sometimes the gut feel will outweigh the data. COVID basically said, all right, show me your gut feel and what you're going to do here. Might not be very successful. It truly necessitated, if you will, this... Your experience it might have some help here, but you need to be data-driven to be able to do this better. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we host various events, you know, data and analytics, thought leadership type events, mainly roundtable type stuff. And, and when the shutdowns happened here in the UK, you know, the first event we did virtually was all around just how a business is managing this, right? And, and, you know, some very interesting points were raised around, you know, well, we don't know what's around the corner. It's almost impossible to forecast and predict, but equally, we can't look backwards either because the world's obviously going to change. So, you know, the prior year's data is probably also redundant. So it's kind of like, well, 
we need something to benchmark against. So, Absolutely. you know, let's let's thrust ourselves into this. Okay. So your your baby Jordan, obviously data literacy. Talk us through A, what that means to you in terms of what that is. And I guess how does that play into helping organizations become data literate? Let me share from a definition perspective, and it's the ability to read, work with, analyze, and then communicate with data. So four key skills and characteristics. Um, Basically, it's are you confident in your ability to use data to support your job? I mean, that's how I would look at it. Now, notice what term is not there, and it's data science. To your point, (laughs) I, I feel so many people got enamored with data science The vast majority of people, 99% of people do not need to be data scientists. They don't need that technical skill. They don't need statistics. They don't need to do it. What they do need to be able to do is communicate with the data scientist, share your thoughts and feelings. This is what I'm looking for. Here's my question. Do we have the data? Can we make this happen? And so I think that no offense to Harvard University, uh, they put out a quote years ago that said, um, the sexiest job of the 21st century is the data scientist. And, you know, we data scientists, we're not called sexy very often, right? But <laughs> you know, we could rejoice that we were. The problem is, to your point, companies then went out and guess what they looked for? Data scientists. That's going to solve all our data problems. It's going to do everything for us. If you have a workforce of 10,000 people, maybe 20 to 50 will be data scientists, maybe. Um, but all 10,000 of you need to be data literate. All 10,000 of you need to know how to ask questions of data how to use it to support your decision-making, et cetera. So when you think about a data-driven organization and how data literacy works in, it is one of, if not the key piece to help your organization be data-driven. You can have the best strategy in the world, amazing tools. You could have super clean data, which we know isn't a common thing. But if your workforce does not know how to use it, which is data literacy, how effective do you think your data-driven organization is going to be? So to me, data literacy is, is this key pillar, this key linchpin, if you will. Without it, don't plan on being data-driven because your workforce is going to be like, oh, cool, you've got all this stuff. I'm going to go back to doing things the old way. I'm going to use my gut fill to make a decision because they don't know how. It's not that most often the tools and technology get blamed for the lack of success in these areas has nothing to do with the tool or technology. It's the comfort your organization has with data. And I think that people need to realize if your workforce is not there, you're just not going to be successful. I mean, that's something that I harp on about all the time, you know, in terms of we we talk about, you know, the amount of perceived failure or, you know, not adding as much value as these initiatives were expected to add and as we all know it's you know literacy and culture are always the things that are pinned up there is the is the two reasons yet you know you look around places like linkedin and all we're ever talking about is the new tech the new tool Absolutely. which you know data warehouse data mesh data fabric data lake <laughs> you know all of that just keep stuff. Going. and to the point about you know data science and the sexiest job of the 21st century i think that's ironic because now we're, we're very much in a place of over the last, I'd say, 18 months to two two years, you know, I think the data engineer has probably surpassed that, you know, uh, every every organization, as you said, went right, oh, you know, the, the data science hype, let's hire them because if we're not seen to be hiring them, we look like we're behind the curve, you know, it's, it's, exactly. it's cool to be hiring them and all of a sudden you've got a team full of people who either aren't willing or aren't able to 
do some of the stuff they need to do to get data where they need it to be to to work yeah. on it right so um and now the data engineer is is what every company is scrambling for which uh Absolutely. always always fascinates me so talk us through jordan okay so you go into an organization you're you're telling them all of this stuff around why it's important why you know not everybody needs to be a data scientist but why everybody no matter who needs to be more data literate what do you see are you know typically the biggest kind of challenges or obstacles for organizations trying to improve that data literacy well you already mentioned one and and it's the number one roadblock to all of it and that is your culture right if your organizational culture is not ready to use data meaning and when we think of the organization's culture you think about the rituals the traditions the skill set that the people have within it the experience the data maturity those pillars those are what make it up far too often we look at the clean the cleanliness of your data the tools and technology we have forget that stuff that doesn't matter if you could again have those things perfect if your culture is not ready it's not happening and so are the rituals that exist within your uh, organization, the traditions, your personality, how the organization works. Is it adaptable to change or does it push against it? And these sort of things. Part of that from the culture perspective goes into how do you get people to buy into this? I think far too often we think massive change management, data and tools are going to overtake my job versus we just want to empower you with data and weave the DNA of data into your job, give you another tool set to succeed. So I think the messaging around it is key. How do you truly get that messages throughout? How do you get the culture to buy in so that the traditions and rituals and the beliefs, the personality all want to buy in with this? That's how you make this thrive. Um, don't get enamored with tools and technology. They come and go, right? Years ago, we were talking about Hadoop all the time. How many people <laughs> talk about Hadoop anymore? We were talking about big data all the time. Yeah, we still talk about it, but we see small data, different types of data. To your point, the data lake, data mesh, data scientist, data, those things will come and go. Do you have the culture that will be adaptable and evolve with it? And then the second is, do you actually have a data strategy supported by leadership? I get leadership will say, we need to use data. That's not a strategy. Leadership will buy a tool or technology. That's not a strategy. A strategy is how will we use data to support the business's mission and goals? Does your organization have that? And does leadership buy into it? I get that's part of culture. That's part of the workforce. But those are them. Those are the big things. Without those things, forget it. You're not going to be as successful as you could be with data. How, how do you go about then? Okay, so we're in this position they completely get it. You're talking to them about data literacy and how you know that weaves itself into the culture and, and where they're at. How do you a assess where they're at on that spectrum? Because I guess that's often a could be a difficult conversation to have with a, a CEO, for example, for him, him or her to admit, actually, we've got a culture that's resistance to change, right? That that might be a difficult conversation to have. So how do you, I guess, with some kind of transparency, have a take a view on where an organization's at on that spectrum? And then, you know, how do you go about actually instilling some change from a literacy perspective? Yeah, it's almost twofold. I'm a huge believer in assessments, assessing the organization. And you have to have that open, honest conversation. To your point, if a CEO, and I, and I met with it, I don't think it was a CEO, might've been a CIO of an organization, maybe 1,500, 1,100 employees who basically was saying to me, this is the only one I think the only company in over five years to say this to me, like, we're already there. 
no, you're not. Sorry, but you're not. And that was the only one. Everyone else has been very open and receptive to this message because I think the numbers are starting to fetter out that companies are not data-driven. They're not having as much success as they think they should be having. But you have to have the open conversation as a CEO. Now, that includes there needs to be a leader at the table of the C-suite. Does your organization have a chief data or analytics officer? And they need to be a standalone position. I see them reporting into CTOs or CIOs. No, they need to have their own position. And the reason is a CTO and a CIO will have their own direction and what they're trying to do. Data needs its own as a support system. And so they need the seat at the table. You need leadership to be open and honest because it's not just the culture, it's your data maturity. And if you're not open and honest to find those gaps and those holes, you're just not going to be successful. Thankfully, COVID kind of did that for us to a degree. It forced people to recognize you're not there. But from there, once you get the buy-in from leadership, then it becomes much easier then you you figure out your strategy. You put plans in place where your data strategy will support your business strategy. You put hiring practices in to make sure everyone who's hired has the right skills. You put learning strategies in to upskill and reskill people for their jobs and what they need to do. That's how it starts. That's how you, you build this out. But without those holistic strategies and without leadership buy-in, forget it. You're, you're just not going to get a seat at the table. Now, again, the nice thing is that, and I shouldn't say it's a nice thing, but it kind of is, is COVID brought it to light and the fact that the ROI and the adoption and the return on investment that organizations are getting from data is quite low. And, and as a, if I was a CEO and I saw that happening, I wouldn't be happy. You're investing how much money into all this and it's not working. I would want to know why. Unfortunately, but then here you go again, if the organization doesn't recognize that it's data literacy and these different things that are holding you back, and you blame a tool, it's not going to work. So this is where hiring an outside person, a third party to come in and tell you is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really, it's so, it's so fascinating, isn't it? I guess what, what in your opinion is the single biggest kind of roadblock to truly becoming data driven? Cause I know we've spoken a lot about culture. We've spoken a lot about literacy. I imagine that often depend on who you're speaking to is a kind of chicken and egg situation. Yeah. Right? Like for me, I, I put culture as number one, data literacy is number two. And the only reason is if your culture is not ready, it doesn't matter what kind of data literacy initiative you put in place, it's not necessarily going to be absorbed. So culture one, data literacy two, from there, data literacy or data strategy, do you actually have the right strategy in place as part of that strategy should be data literacy. And so, but for me, that number one, put a stamp on it is culture because without the culture ready and willing to do this, these other things are aspirational, but it's not necessarily going to be absorbed and uptaken into the organization. Just thinking out loud here, Jordan, but has there been any success kind of stories from your career where you've seen an organization, you know, really change that culture for, you know, the better of their data and analytics initiatives? Yeah. I mean, I'll talk about the United Nations and the great work they did. So the UN brought me in, what is it? Two, three years ago, um, I was a part of about four of us, different industry experts. I came in from data literacy, I believe was what they wanted me for. There was a data scientist and AI specialist. But basically, what I saw from an organizational perspective at the United Nations, we were teaching the UN itself, not country member countries or anything, was an organization that had the leadership buy-in, the leadership support that truly understood in order to make the UN more effective or to do what was right and necessary. And if you think about the UN's mission, 
they started to really dive into what does it mean to be data-driven? And this is one, two years pre-COVID. So getting a nice jump start on it. And then there are organizations that I see out there that I've worked with. Another good example is Lockheed Martin, you know, hundred over a hundred thousand employees around the world, but was really getting leadership buying and understanding that from top to bottom and things like that, you need data literacy, even from the person who's working on the, the assembly line, all the way up to your decision makers, there's a lineage of how that data works through things. And they had started to build their culture and, and work around it. It's not an easy thing. I mean, it takes time. And that's that's the one thing is I think a lot of companies think, give me the data. I want to press a button. In fact, I worked for a data company and this data company didn't practice its own data literacy. And so you're just kind of like, that doesn't make sense. There was one leader in particular, this was my prior company, who understood, I think, the purpose of data literacy, but wasn't accepting it internally. Like, why don't we have this data ready? Now, why aren't we getting these? And, and it's like the cognitive dissonance, I guess you could say, the disconnect that this one particular leader had. So there's a balance, right? This is why culture, you had one part of an organization accepting it, very key leader, not understanding how it works. And that's why culture and strategy and all these things go together. Yeah, I guess, again, thinking out loud, but how do you go about the changing of that culture? Because I appreciate, like you said, it takes time. Most organizations don't feel that they have time, right? Because there's a huge yeah. there's a huge thought process around competitive advantage, right? So everyone wants it now. They think it's a case of, right, if we buy the tech, we buy the team, give them a couple of weeks and, you know, you go and turn on the light switch and da-da, there's the value, yeah. you know, type of, of thing. Um, but changing the culture, obviously, is just something that needs to happen over a period of time. How, how do you actually go about saying, right, you know, we need to change the culture and here's what we need to do. I guess there's strategies also around that, right? Yeah. I mean, there, there's the standard change management and things like that, but, to, and, and yes, you need to put those in place, but the key really boils down for the culture on data literacy is do you have the right mission and vision for why you are upskilling people? So when you hear me speak to a company or I'm doing a webinar, I'm going to start with the why behind it. I'm going to set a solid foundation of understanding of why this matters before going into the what and the how. And, but far too often, you know, organizations are like, okay, we got to do data training, send out a mandatory email. You get that email that says you have new mandatory training. How many of us like those emails? Versus when I go into a company and build a strategy, we do webinars, TED talk type things, communication plans, different things like that, and training leaders just to set the tone for what we're going to be doing from a data literacy initiative. That establishes a why in the organization. Why, let's say, I mean, there are com big companies out there I've worked with, like Disney or Nike and things like that, and reached out to me for help. Nike is a good example, is they've got so much data, right? So much data to be used for their product lines and everything like that. But we have to establish that why. And they had two good internal leaders and two lead people leading it on establishing that. So Always start with, if, if you can establish a knowledge base, a common, common knowledge base of why an organization needs to do this, you're on your way. I get you're going to have a few dissenters and outliers who don't want to, but if you can get 90, 95% of your workforce just understanding why, then the change is going to happen easier. It's going to take time, but your culture can, can absorb it easier because people buy in. People are there. People get it. So... That, that's where I start is really get the understanding of why this matters. And that's where why some companies bring me in essentially is to help them with that why, to do webinars, to do talks. Then we build a strategy later, but we start with those whys. Yeah. 
out of interest in your opinion how how transparent are, are those wise in terms of you know i think the harsh reality of the situation that we're, we're not all out here focusing on data analytics projects for the good of our health right you know there's a there's a bottom line yeah. um kind of figure to doing this right and that's the reason that's the that's the real driver for a lot of the time you know whether we're talking about customer experience or hard cash values ultimately there's a bottom line initiative going on here right so how do you see that playing out in these organizations is it as simple as you know if we do this we become a better organization or are there more kind of you know cuter i guess uh, approaches to that the twofold. So there's one, there was a study that I was a part of when I worked at Click because we you, you sit here and go around and tell people data literacy matters. We then built a study that proved basic to your point, the competitive advantage that data being a data literate or top data literate organization brings. Those are the concrete numbers executives want to see, right? They want to see what can this do for you? And that study's that it's called the data literacy index. Um, you can Google it, you can find it. Um, it was a study that we did that showed just what it does for an organization. That gets executives excited, right? That if you're going to do this, this can happen, or it, can, it should, or it can get them excited. The flip side of it is I do get asked, you know, how do we get people to buy into this? You can't boil the ocean. What I mean by that is you can't change everything overnight. So I tell organizations, pick a few projects that can become proof of concepts. Like here's project one, we use data and analytics to drive decision-making on this. Here's the success and create a library of four or five of those, because then you can go around your organization and say, hey, we've established a more data-driven approach. Here is the proof of concept of what it did for us. Sped things up by X amount. The return was this. Those different things then get buy-in. So you have proof points. So you establish the why, show that why with proof of concept. Then you're, it, it, hopefully it's easier for you to get the buy-in, get the things that you need to drive everything forward. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because I guess it makes complete sense, right? You know, if you're speaking about high level ROI and numbers, then of course, you know, business leaders want to know that. But I guess for the the average Joe in the business, you know, that that, that might not necessarily be that important to them, right? So I guess you're talking about there about, you know, making people's lives easier, speeding up delivery times on projects, and that's the stuff they care about, right? Getting stuff off their plate effectively. So yeah, makes makes perfect uh, perfect sense. So look, if you were building kind of an organization in today's world let's say you know you start up your own business tomorrow jordan walk us through what you do and how you do it and and, and why you do it that way as far as culture yeah. data strategy literacy etc yeah I, I can tell you exactly i use a five-step process and i do this with companies because whether you're starting today or an established organization, the vast majority of established organizations are not being successful here. So it's a five-step approach. Number one is what outcome do you want to achieve with your data? Set that outcome. What is it you're looking to actually do with data? Then build a strategy. Step two is build a strategy that achieves that outcome. So let's say you're a marketing or advertising company, increase marketing revenue by doing X, Y, and Z for customers. That's your outcome that you want to use data to support. That's awesome. Then what strategy, data strategy, do you put in place in there? Now, a data strategy has many different pillars as data engineering, like you talked about, data management, data governance, data ethics, data literacy, tools and technology. So it becomes, here's my outcome. Step number two is my strategy to achieve that outcome. Step number three, and this is what's interesting, is a lot of companies made this their step number one, the investment in tools and technology. That became 
0.1 for most companies, and then you force fit the outcome and strategy on top of it. Let's reverse that. Start with an outcome and strategy. Hopefully at that point, the tools and technology that you need to complete that strategy fall into place. You'll know, do I need a BI tool? Do I need code? Do I need a cloud environment? Do I need a data lake? You might not, but companies are investing in everything because that's what you hear about. So outcome strategy, tools, and technology. Step four is your learning program. Now the learning program has two parts, data literacy. So the common uses of data, data dictionary, can you speak the language and analytical things, plus tool learning. You've got, you have to have both. I can't just teach data literacy and not how to use a tool. Couple them together so you have both. Then number five becomes the change management of culture. Help the culture get the why and all that. So you've established everything. Those are your foundational pieces. This is what you're doing. Now let's get the culture rolling with it. And that, that all those things together would allow you to, to build this out. Now, as a part of, I should put the strategy side, it is, do you have the right personnel in place? Do you have a chief data officer? Do you have someone leading that? All of that. So all of these things um, can go together, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. That makes, uh, that makes perfect sense. I guess, um, how do you know when you've got there? Like what's where's the barometer on this to say yeah uh, okay now now we are a data-driven organization I, I i don't think you can ever say you get there i i actually think that's a misnomer i yeah. think what you say is a better way to say it is think think about a, a a slope of a line chart is your slope going up or is your slope going down the world is absolutely ever-changing the data-driven world is absolutely ever-changing there's new technologies and everything, right? We mentioned like Hadoop and big data. Now you've got data engineers versus data scientists. Everything is evolving. What really matters is the evolution that your company goes through. Does it have a data strategy that should be iterated upon every few months? Do you have a culture that's using data to make decisions? Yeah, let's keep that going. So you're never arriving per se, because the moment you arrive, you're, you're going to fall behind if that makes sense, or you can fall behind. Um, because you you set yourself where everything passes you by. So for me, it's not about you've arrived. To me, it's about are you progressing continually towards that destination? And that's a, I get that that's almost this philosophical way of looking at it, but that's how you have to look at it. Data and analytics are probability-based. They're iterative. Things fail, things work, but they're all for the betterment of a data-driven organization. And I think that's how you have to view it is, We've got the strategy. Every three months, we reevaluate it. Oh, we have to shift here. We have to shift there. Sometimes you have massive boulders that get in the way. January 2020, companies were putting strategies in place. Two months later, blow the strategies up because COVID shut everything <laughs> down. So that's why you, you don't arrive. You're always evolving and improving. Yeah, yeah. To go back to your earlier point about your five steps, and as we look to wrap this up here, Jordan, but obviously you mentioned that most companies start with step three step yeah. one right the tech and the tools and, and all of that type of stuff yeah you know it's and i'm sure we're on a journey with this right but when anyone we speak to now whether we're talking to a chief data analytics officer whether we're talking to a business leader whether we're talking to a data analyst or a data scientist or whatever the case may be it seems to be the common knowledge that we should always start with the business challenge or opportunity and, and work backwards yeah yep in reality, that never seems to be the way these things play out. Well, why oh, do you never. think that is? I, I think that people, we, we live in a way where we like to say, embrace change. Majority of people don't. 
fail fast. Majority of people don't. So we get behind these catchy slogans, but instead of proactively setting the field, we re, we work in a reactionary environment. So we're always putting out fires. I hate that term. If someone to me, and I hate to say it this way, I'm not trying to put people down, but if someone says to me, I'm putting out four different fires, that means you weren't prepared ahead of time. And I get that sometimes there are fires like COVID that are legitimate fires that need to be put out, emergencies, et cetera. But I feel like most organizations are always working that way, which means you're not proactive. You're not setting the tone. You're letting the tone be set for you. And But I look at some of the most successful companies, and I'm not saying every company needs to be this, but look at Steve Jobs. That guy didn't put out fires. He just freaking set the fire. Elon Musk does the same <laughs> yeah. thing, right? You look at the top Jeff Bezos doesn't let the, the economy determine it for him. He determines the economy. I'm not saying that's what we need to do, but I think that is easier for companies to allow those things to come at you versus you setting them. So it's easier to be reactionary than it is proactive. And so I think that hinders, it, it's a change. It is a change management. It's always these things and so for me, there's this battle when I go to companies, I hear the catchy phrases, we fail fast. No, you don't. We like to fail. <laughs> no, you don't. You don't like to fail or else you would you would be using it. We embrace change. No, you don't. And, and I don't, you can hire me or just bring me in. I'll do it for free to be a contrarian voice to these leaders. But that's really where, where it struggles. I think people don't know how to do that. And I think that that really impacts and hinders true data-driven cultures because data is a change. It is not just weaving the DNA into it because it, it makes people uncomfortable. And so you have to, I, there's uh, Carol Dweck on uh, the growth versus fixed mindset, all those things that are becoming ever more popular, you've got to implement those right or it's just not going to work. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely makes uh, makes perfect sense. Well, look, John, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, fascinating conversation. Um, loved every second and really enjoyed having you on, I guess. What does the future hold for you? You, you mentioned a second book on the cards. So I'm sure there's, you know, you can't give too much away, but um, what, uh, what, can we ex- what can we expect from that? Absolutely. Well, I've got book number two right now and already in talks for book number three with the publisher on another idea. So, for me, like it, I, I get asked to mentor a lot and I try and live my life this way. For me, and it sounds really nerdy, but life is truly data literacy and data. I love these things. I love their power. I love analytics and math. And I've been given a great platform to make that happen at Pluralsight. That to me is I, I try and shape my, my career around my life goals, not my life goals around my career, if that makes sense. And so Thankfully, I love data and analytics. I love what it does. That's where you're going to find me. You're going to find me expanding data literacy, expanding how to truly help company you, you companies utilize data more. That translates down into uh, the data strategies, the skills that we're bringing to Pluralsight's platform. It translates to probably how my books are being written, how I foresee the future of data and analytics going. All of that is encompassed. I just love these spaces and any opportunity to work in them and expand them and, and build new trends. You know, I, I love, I don't know if you know who Yuval Noah Harari is. He's got amazing books out there, kind of on the futuristic side of things, yeah. um, utilizing how, how do you empower people to compete in those future economies, which are going to look, could look drastically different. And data literacy to me is a skill that empowers people to do that. So anyway, I mean, they're, they're massive undertakings, but I love it. I, I love jumping into this world more. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So I guess uh, if anyone's keen to reach out to you, Jordan, you know, whether 
want to pick your brains on anything that they've heard today, maybe interested about how you and Pluralsight can help them, you know, with their education and literacy programs, what's the best way for them to reach you? LinkedIn. I, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Um, I do posts quite frequently. And if you reach out to me, I pretty much will see the message and, and help if I can, or if it's the right thing to do. And But just reach out to me. I'm an open book. Um, that's how you and I started chatting, right? Is just reach yep. out. I'm an open book on LinkedIn. Um, come chat with me. I mean, I love this world. I've got a ton of experience. I've worked with, I, I, don't, I haven't counted the number of customers. I probably couldn't because it's been years probably 500 to 1,000 different companies over the world over the years where I've spoken with them, I've done webinars for them, or I've actually helped them with their strategy. So, and, or I should say, help them with their strategy. So just reach out to me. There's so much that can be done. It's just, you need a voice to help you connect. Nice, nice. Jordan, thank you very much for coming on. Absolute pleasure. And uh, yeah, we look forward to staying connected with you and seeing what comes next for you soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Cheers. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like, and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back next week.